Learning how to enjoy a game is really important. I care about a good game. That's what I care about. If I lose, I lose. But like, it's a game. It's a game. It's a game. It's a game. But I get emotional about games where I messed up. That's my mistake, and I get frustrated with myself. But like, getting frustrated from losing games in Commander specifically is most easily solved by learning how to appreciate a good game. And like, oh man, that game had a lot of interaction. We all tried. Like, all this cool stuff was happening. And then person one, like, hey. Great job. Like, you did a great job piloting your deck. That's awesome. Let's play another game. Because that's, that's what you can do. You can just, I can play another game. And I think this is part of the dynamic of multiplayer that's really interesting. Is that any game could turn into a game of arch enemy. When we get into that mindset, it becomes a pack mentality. Just some of the weird, interesting social dynamics of humans. Where we want to attack together. Because we're now unified. And then all of us are now on our own again. Wait, now it's two against one, but the person who we're against, we don't have enough firepower to stop them. It's just really interesting. It's an interesting dynamic. Welcome to Humans of Magic. My guest this week is Hire. Hire is a member of the Playing With Power Collective and is super passionate about competitive Elder Dragon Highlander, or CEDH. Hire delivers a masterclass in getting better at CEDH and navigating the dynamics of multiplayer magic. He's got a serious love for self-improvement while being ultra-intentional with social interactions and having a good time. This episode will definitely help you level up your game in terms of mindset and approaching magic the right way. In true humans and magic fashion, we delve into Hire's backstory so that you can form a well-rounded picture for who he is as a father and social worker in his community. Please enjoy my conversation with Hire. Thank you for tuning in to the audio version of Humans of Magic. This project is a labor of love, and I do it on a part-time basis. I wanted to let you know about all the ways that you can support the project. Number one, tell a friend. If you like the content, please pass it on and let others know about the pod. I'm always looking for new listeners. Number two, subscribe to the Humans of Magic YouTube channel. The video version of the podcast is the best one because you can see my guests. You can see all their fun expressions and it's awesome. Go to humansofmagic.com and find all my social links there, including YouTube. That's humansofmagic.com. Last but not least, I have a Humans of Magic Patreon at patreon.com slash humansofmagic. Totally optional, but your direct support goes a super long way. Patrons will have access to my exclusive Discord chat and will have the ability to suggest future guests. If you like the sound of that, head on over to patreon.com slash humansofmagic. Once again, thank you for being a fan and thanks for listening. Let's get to this week's episode. All right, we are live with Hire. How are you doing, sir? I'm good. I'm good. We have a huge time difference, but I'm I'm feeling good. It's nighttime. My son just went to bed and it's time to time to do an interview. I'm really excited. <laughs> How are you doing? It, it's, I'm 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 doing good. I you're you are literally maybe the second or third person that I've ever had on the podcast to talk about CEDH. 
Like every mm-hmm. conversation I'm having with somebody is just mind opening for me because mm-hmm. I have very limited exposure to EDH and CEDH and actually just like even watching some of your content and playing with power content, it's just like open up this new domain for me. Like, and, and I think you're one of the, the most intentional and like knowledgeable people about CEDH. So I think this will be kind of a, a fun conversation from that perspective, you know? Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sh- I'm down to just just shoot it. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> and don't worry, I I I, th- I said we're live, but of course you know this is not really live. Like if your son comes and comes down, I think down the stairs or whatever, um, yeah. it's totally fine. Is is he still doing that every no every nah, night you're recording or what? Nah, he when we put him to to sleep, we got him on a good sleep routine. He usually stays upstairs. He he had a little mischievous face for a little bit, huh, babe? A little bit where he was like trying to sneak downstairs. We're like, Hey, you got to cut that out. But, um, but now he's, now he's doing great. How, how did you, how, how did it get cut out? Like, did you, did you just get uh, bored of doing that? Or did you have a good t- father to son talk or what was it? We had a stern talking to, no, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's my, my son Silas is a three. And, um, and one of the things that we learned early on is like bedtime routines are really important. Like every aspect of it. So like right now, a bedtime routine is go upstairs, brush your teeth, floss, and then we like run across to our room and then we, we, we change them. We put every, all his bedtime clothes on. We do like, like little rituals to like help him like, oh, it's time to go to sleep mode. It's time to go to sleep mode, you know? And then we have like good night kisses and then we, uh, read him, uh, a couple books and then we, and then, okay, it's time to go to sleep. And then he lays down, he like has his own books in his hand. And then he, uh, and then I'll fall asleep within like maybe 30 minutes or so. Um, yeah. and like, that's been the routine for how long do you think babe? forever? Two years. Yeah. Two years. Um, and like maybe seven months ago, seven or eight months ago, he was trying to get out of bed and, uh, like run downstairs. And one of the things that we had to do is like, okay, why is he running out of bed? Like what's happening? And he just wanted to test boundaries. And so we had to reinforce that by, okay, let's walk upstairs and let's finish reading a book. And then, and then, okay, now you have to stay in bed. You gotta stay in bed, bud. And then we did that a couple of nights and then he was good. It's good to go. That's, that's amazing. I mean, just, just the consistency, like you, you said, mm-hmm. you've been doing this with him for, for two years, like basically mm-hmm. every night it's like an event for him. It's like, mm-hmm. all right, my parents are going to tuck me in. They're going to read to me. I'm mm-hmm. going to fall asleep with a book in my hand. That's just like the royal treatment right there. Like that. <laughs> I'm telling we tried, we try, we trying right now to make sure he gets the, the best of the best. Um, you know, the, it's, it's really interesting. So like, we'll, we'll read the same books to him cause he'll, he'll like whatever book he likes. And then he'll get to a point where he'll have it memorized and like, he'll read it to us. Like he'll like have the whole book that we'll read to him memorized. And I remember the first time that he did that, I was like, is, is my son a genius? Is he just a genius? Like, no, he's been reading the same book for a month. Like he has, (laughs) (laughs) he's had the same thing fed to him for a month. So he he knows a little bit about it. I'm telling you, man. Yeah. Yeah. Right now he's really, he, my son really likes, uh, like anything vehicle related. So, um, he has a book called good night, good night construction site. And like, it's so funny. Like when I read cause it rhymes, right? So when I read it, I'm just kind of like, I'm tired. So I'm just reading it. But him and my wife, when they read it, it's like an entire adventure. It's like, like there's like 
there's like 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 voices and stuff and i'm like man y'all y'all got it going on and i'll be like listening <laughs> in a little bit just to like hear it and my son really enjoys it uh, my wife so, is the is a story yeah. reader for our for our family because that's their routine so does he does he actually request that your wife reads it instead of you because he knows you're kind of just phoning it in or something or yeah yeah absolutely there's been there's been nice when he's he's uh he's a uh, mama read it mama read it <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh i try like i give my i give a good effort but like my like she just i don't know she just got the the animated voices for sure yeah. how did how did you and your wife as a unit kind of figure out the right system or methods to God, this feels like a Tim Ferriss podcast for parenting right now. Um, <laughs> like, I, I didn't mean it that way, but like, no. just, I'm curious, like how, how did you, how did you guys develop the system? You know, I, I, is it, is it your first kid? Yeah. 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 Silas is, uh, is our first, is our first kid. Um, we figured it, we, it was more, it was trial and error, trial and error. Um, I would say if there's one defining quality of my wife is that she's very detail oriented, very detail oriented. And like really wants to be as knowledgeable about the things that she cares about as possible. And so our son is like the thing she cares about most in life. And she wanted to be the best mother she could be. And so one of the things that comes of that is like research, you know, asking questions, talking to other parents, being a part of parenting groups and stuff like that. And, um, you know, one of the things that she came across is like, Hey, being consistent in things that we do with him really are going to benefit him in the long run. And so we started creating these routines to like help him, um, with, with everything. And like it, it like sticks and like you, what's interesting. And for, at least for me, because I am, I'm more of like, let's learn on the fly. That's a, I would say that's a, that's probably like the, what I am. Um, it's that I, I get to learn a lot. Um, and so she's like, okay, here's what the research says. Let's try it. And then sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but it's at the end of the day, we give it our best. Um, and I think it all, I think that the, if there's like, if this is like a parenting themed moment, uh, I would say that if you are a parent and you have the, um, if you're fortunate enough to have another, a co-parent, um, communication between you two about how you want to do things before you do them really is beneficial. Like. We want to do this this way and we're going to be consistent about it and we're going to hold each other accountable to make sure that we're consistent about it um will benefit your child more than anything else have you found that your level of communication with your partner has like improved or gone up in in quality like since since becoming a parent like I, maybe by necessity or otherwise so my wife is a social worker and i have my degree in psychology and we both worked, have been working in social services for over a decade. And so our communication is, I would say top tier, <laughs> top tier communication. Tier one. Um, yeah. Yeah. Tier one. As she is, as she is good with being detail oriented, I feel I am as good in communication. Like that's like my, I like, I, I refuse to have, or be in a relationship that has yelling involved. Like me and my mm. wife have been, me and my wife have been together. 10 years this year, 10 years, this is it the 10 years this year. Jeez, jeez, we're, we're awesome. Uh, <laughs> is, is your, is your wife camera shy? Can we get her on the camera for a bit or is that okay? My, or my wife, my wife is studying. She's, uh, in her last, last 
dredges of grad school. She's a, she uh, is, she gets her master's in six weeks, five weeks, five weeks. Oh my God. Five weeks. Holy smokes. And so, um, she's studying really, really hard. And if I pull her away, she'll she, okay. like, she'll say hi, but then she'll look at me and like, why did you make me do this? You know, I'm busy. Right. Uh, right. Plus you can't hear me anyway. Cause I'm in your headset. Right. So see, yeah, he's totally pressuring me right now, babe. He's totally pressuring me right now. And I'm just like, Hey, listen, I'm not trying to be in trouble. Listen, you're going to get me in trouble. That's all that's going to happen. Hey, uh, happy wife, happy life. That's what they say, ha right? Happy wife, happy life. Indeed. Indeed. Um, yes. but, uh, yeah, so we've been together, uh, 10 years. And one of the things that like was like really important for me is I don't want to argue. Like I don't, we can disagree. We can totally disagree. And we can even like, we can have like light arguments, but I don't want us to ever yell at each other in anger. Mm. And, um, so that was like a huge, that was a huge thing for me. And I think that has really translated in how we communicate with each other now, but also how we communicate with our son. Um, and I think that has been really successful. That's, that's really important, right? Because I think if you're, if you're a kid and you hear yelling in the house all the time, mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. just not conducive to anything. Right. Um, mm -hmm. but having said that, like, do you get, have there been times where you kind of just like, are you like, have you ever been like close to the edge with your son? Like, just kind of like, you know, he's really not cooperating or is it always just like a little bit of like talking civilly and raising your voice a little bit like that's usually enough to to, to settle the situation or to have some kind of understanding. yeah yeah i mean at the end of the day we're human right like if he if he does something out of pocket like we're gonna we're gonna correct him pretty quickly um i i i, I think that the the biggest one is not screaming at your child and not like yeah not screaming at your child is probably the one thing that we don't do. Um, but like definitely have to have a firm voice, um, in moments. And I think that's something that every parent is going to do. You just like, you know, your, your kid throws something and shatters the window. You're just going to be like, why, oh my God. why, why did this just happen? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and there's just little things like right now, Silas is potty training and today. Mm -hmm. Today, peed all over the floor. And it's like, bro, like, what? Well, why? You, you don't, why? <laughs> like, you know, it's just like, great. Now I have to, like, now I have to talk to him, like, and remind him and do all these things. And it's like just us being consistent with him. But it, it's more us expressing to each other, like, oh, <laughs> so frustrated. Mm. Rather than yeah. us like getting in his face and be like, oh, oh, I'm frustrated with you. Like we, <laughs> we need, we need him to understand how to express himself because we've seen like, we've seen in our professional work, we've seen like when people have not been able to get that type of treatment, like, and what, what can come of, you know, improper responses to anger and stuff like that. And the one thing we want for him is to be able to like, be able to regulate himself. Mm -hmm. Um, and hopefully that's what happens with the way we're raising him. Who knows? Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. That's, that's, that's good. Um, just, just full disclosure. I talked to some of your, uh, fel fellow content co-creators and mm. they, they mentioned that like hires a really, really, uh, really good parent. He's like, uh, he's an excellent husband and parent. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out, I'm trying to piece it all together. I feel like I'm starting to like, uh, it's, <laughs> maybe it's just your, your way with, you know, your partner with your family, like that's, that's, it, it shows it's good. It's good. Yes. I am a family man. That's, that is a, a characteristic you could definitely describe. Um, 
yeah, it's a, uh, it's cool when, uh, when you have something you cherish, you cherish it. Nice. Nice. So, uh, I I'm also wondering, uh, cause you mentioned that both you and your partner are like, have kind of a social work background mm -hmm. or are, are, so are you currently in the, still in the field? I had, you had mentioned mm -hmm. on your podcast that, um, you just found a new gig. How, how's that? What, how's that going? Uh, good, good. Yeah. So right now, um, I work with former foster youth. Um, a lot of the work that I do is housing former foster youth and getting them into permanent sustainable housing. Um, and then I also run a drop-in center for LGBTQIA plus, uh, youth, mm -hmm. um, ages 12 to 20. And so a lot of the work, a lot of the work that I do is, is ensuring young people have the ability to transition into school or work or um be able to have a safe place i would say that would be like the the mo majority of what i do for sure <laughs> what's what's your uh motivation for for doing something like that oh man making the world a better place there's a lot of i think that um if there's any any intrinsic motivating factors. It's, I grew up in a, in a time and environment that was intense. Um, and so there was just a lot of things that were happening that as I grew up, I knew that those experiences were experiences I could relate to and have maybe a little bit of help or be able to give a little bit of help to those who are going through it um and be able to give them some of the guidance that i wish i had when i was going through some of the things and so my family was going through some of the things that they were going through i wish someone would have been, be would be able to tell me hey you know if you want to help your family member through this um you may want to do it this way because if you do it the way you're currently doing it they may not ever be able to build the skills they need to succeed versus if you do it this way they might build those skills and they may not need you as much in the future um and then that turned into working in this field and really, really enjoying it. Um, and then there's just moments you have with other people that you find like, oh, wow, like I've helped you greatly. And, you know, now you are living your best life, making a billion dollars a day because you chose to work in business and I didn't. And those are just the choices we, <laughs> we have. <laughs> I, I imagine that you're, 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 you're a father figure to some of the youth that you work with, right? Um, I definitely try to be a mentor, a mentor. more than anything. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I think that like, like, so like, right. Good example. Right now I'm working with former foster youth and though I would say an important, I guess an important thing to understand is that they may not have ever had a father figure and anyone who tries to resemble that or becomes like becomes the target of years of trauma uh, and, okay. right and and so like for me i really try to make sure that they know that i'm there for them and that if they need support i got i got them in that way but i never want to say like you know what i'm very disappointed in you that's not something i would say to like one of my youth because i don't want them to internalize that as oh dad is is mad at me and then dredge up all of the feelings about the concept of dad. Right. Um, mm. and so, yeah, so I, I try my best to provide support 
and really try and make sure that the needs of the youth that I serve are being met as well as find ways to connect where other people may have failed in trying to connect. Um, mm -hmm. a good example is like, we have a youth who really likes music, right? And historically they've had a really hard time connecting with staff, really like oppositional to the authority. Um, and so I asked them, what are you into? And they said music. And I was like, all right, that's cool. Let me, and this is the magic community, right? Let me try and find ways to raise money, to build a music studio for you. And so I reached out to the magic community. I was like, Hey, does anyone want to donate some, do you have any music equipment or would you, do you want to donate money to help me build, build the studio? And in like, not even a day, I raised like $2,000 and we built the music studio, um, for the youth. And so I was able to provide that and like get that installed. And now the, these youth have that access to, to a music studio, which is great. Um, but it shows them that like they can trust me and that I'll have their back um, without giving them the same feelings that like, oh, dad bought me something new. Instead it's, mm -hmm. oh, Alex, this person, this support person is helping me out. And that's what I want mm -hmm. for them. That's what I, I want them to have that um, because they're gonna build, they're called permanency connections. They're gonna build permanency connections with people. And we just wanna make sure those those connections are healthy that they understand boundaries, that they are able to keep creating those because the worst thing is for a youth not to be able to do that and then live a life frustrated because they, they just want to be connected and they want to feel community and they can't build that in a healthy way. And that's one of the reasons programs like the programs that I work for exist because we are helping create those interpersonal skills and those independent living skills so that youth can transition into adulthood successfully. When you say permanency, does that mean that they continue to have a relationship with you even mm. as they get older or it's kind of like, a, or does it mean something else? Uh, yeah, that's a good question actually. Um, so permanency connections are connections to people that will be in your life forever or for as long as you are, or that you- As long as possible, basically. As long as possible, yeah. And so, um, and so a lot of the time when we're thinking permanency connections with former foster youth, we're talking about like getting connected with, with uncle, with aunt, with, um, maybe it could be a friend. It could be a friend you've known for a long time, but we want to make sure that you also have the ability to make new permanency connections. So new, new friends and new things. But the, the issue is that when you're 18 and 19, you may not make the best friends. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> I hear friends, that, right. A lot of the friends that you're making might not may not have the best intentions. Um, mm -hmm. and it's important that we are in ensuring the youth have the skills to be able to identify when someone's healthy for them and when someone's toxic for them. Um, and what that can look like, cause it can look, it can look fine on the outside. Like, Oh, you, you met a new person and they just want to go out and drink all the time and have it and party. And all oh, that sounds like a great friend. Are they a great friend? Cause when you were going through it the other week, they were nowhere to be seen where they were out partying away. Oh, you needed more. Okay. What does more look like in friendship? Right. It's like, Oh, someone will come over, bring you some cookies or something when you're feeling blue and hang out with you. That's, that's what you want. You want support like that. Um, Oh, okay. I can identify that. Okay. I know, I know someone who does that for me. It's, it's this guy. He does this all for me all the time. And okay, great. You, that's a permanency connection. I see. So it's about also giving them the, like the tool set to, mm -hmm. to assess, to analyze, to, mm -hmm. To, to build meaningful connections. And what I also like about the, 
the music studio example is that it's really more about doing right at the end of the day, mm -hmm. at, at least my personal philosophy, it's like, you can say a lot of things, but I think if you do something for that, for that kid, it really shows that you care as opposed to just saying like, oh yeah, yeah. You, you, you like music. I like music too. Right. So, um, I mean, there's value in that, but to, to build a connection, but I, I love that you kind of took that extra step. And also the fact that the funds came from the community. So it's not like, Alex or higher, like you actually took money out of your own pocket. Like that's not really the point. It's more about like you, you're, you're making a deliberate, a deliberate choice to, to help. And also maybe to let, uh, them know that, okay, this, there's actually a community out there. That's like, you know, mm -hmm. that's, that's nice and helpful, right. In the right ways. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The community is amazing. Oh my gosh. There's like some wonderful humans that are in the community that are very charitable. And, uh, and I couldn't have done some of the work that I've done without them. Yeah. So what were you like as a kid? Maybe this is like time to go into a little bit of your backstory. Like, are, are you, a, are you a Cali native? First of all, um, kind of, I'm a Cali transplant. Okay. I was born in Minnesota. That should get out of the way. I was born in Minnesota okay. and I lived there for two born years. In the cold. Yeah. Born in the cold. And then we moved right on out to California. Um, when I was like two, so I don't even remember Minnesota. Okay. Um, but I still have a lot of family. I mean, come out on, let's basically Californian, right? Let's let's just basically. But like, I just have to put it out there. Like, listen, I understand. If I say I was born in California, people are going to be upset because Minnesota is the opposite, basically. Uh, and so, <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I was uh, I was raised in California, um, and I lived in northern and central California. Um, for my childhood. And then I moved down to Southern California, San Diego, um, when I was 19, that was 19. That was a long time ago. Um, okay. And so, yeah. And then, um, so as a, as a kid, I was just, I was a curious kid. I loved, I had hobbies. I was a hobby kid. Um, I'd always get into stuff. And so this is actually like, this actually makes a lot of sense. So I always liked hobbies. So like when I was a kid, I yo-yos and, marbles and game boy like pokemon like all of this stuff was super like interesting to me i was always fascinated by learning new stuff um and i remember i collected like pokemon cards and i was like oh this is really really fun and then i collected digimon cards and i started collecting Yu-Gi-Oh cards and i was like oh man Yu-Gi-Oh, so much fun and i liked Yu-Gi-Oh because it was the first game that i could play because i didn't play pokemon i just wanted to collect the cards but i did want to play Yu-Gi-Oh. And I played Yu-Gi-Oh! Hardcore. Oh, man, I was really into it. And this was, like, when it first came out. So this is, like, nine, uh, 2000, 2004, 2003. Okay, you were Yu-Gi-Oh! OG. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so, like, so, I don't know what they call it. Best of all time. So, GOAT, the GOAT format um, in Yu-Gi-Oh! Where you can, like, like, the cards I play, like, Chaos dragon and like envoy of the end and uh and black luster soldier envoy of the beginning yada Garasu, all these like cards i'm sorry i'm just saying spitball all these crazy cards that are really broken in, in Yu-Gi-Oh. and um i used to play that and i was like really really into it and um me and my friends like we graduated high school we went to college and um we we all lived together my best friends we all lived together for a really long time and we still play Yu-Gi-Oh in the, in the house. And I remember like, man, this is really fun. And then it got a little burned out on it. And, uh, and then we ended up, some of my friends moved back to central California and I stayed in San Diego 
And when they moved back, they got into a new game called Magic the Gathering. And I was like, oh man, I don't know this game. Like this, if they're like, oh, it's a lot like Yu-Gi-Oh, but more balanced. And I was like, more balanced? That sounds boring. Like what is happening? <laughs> um, what's balance? Sound, yeah. What's balance about this? Come on. And, uh, and I, uh, I was like, I went to, there's a place in San Diego. Uh, it's not around anymore. Um, but it, it used, it's, it was called Fred's crazy comics and our crazy Fred's no Fred's it was just Fred's. And, uh, and I went there and I was like, Hey, Fred, um, I want to learn how to play this game. My friends are playing in Santa Barbara and I don't know anything about magic. And he's like, okay, well, what do you like? And I was like, I don't really know. I, I played Yu-Gi-Oh and he's like, okay, what did you like about Yu-Gi-Oh? And I was like, I don't know, big, crazy things. And he's like, all right, <laughs> you're going to play green. You're going to play green. Mm -hmm. And I was like, mm -hmm. okay, what does green do? And he's like, green is just big creatures. And I was like, okay. And this was in 2009. And so when I started playing, he was like, okay, I'm going to show you these, these cards and right like real soon after that, the Zendikar block dropped and, mm -hmm. um, and rise of Eldrazi came out and, um, he's like, okay, so you can play these elves, right? And then you can play this one elf, it's called Elvish Piper. And what happens is that you can activate Elvish Piper and put this really big creature named Emrakul into play. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that's cool. That's super cool. And so I got, I got really into that. I was like, let's do that. Let's keep doing that. I like this. And I remember, um, I played really like, like I wanted to learn, I was, I was trying to learn all, all this thing. And at the time, so in that standard block, um, tribal elves was a big thing. And so you could do turn one, turn one forest into Llanowar elf, turn two forest into another Llanowar elf or another like one mana, uh, mana dork. And then turn three, you could catch an elfish piper, which is fine. Like it, that's mm -hmm. a fine play. And then turn four, you could have Emrakul. Like just like turn that. four, just like that. Yeah. Turn four, Emrakul. And like it at the time in standard, like there's, you just, you're, yeah. What do you do? How do you, you just, oh, cause I'm going to, it's going to get back to my turn. I'm going to attack you. You have to sack six permanents. Like, mm. bruh, <laughs> this is brutal. And so, um, that was like my favorite, um, my favorite time. And I, I got, I just immediately got snatched into it. I was like, this is super, super fun. And, uh, and that carried me for a bit. And then my cards rotated out of standard and I was like, what, mm. I can't play all these cool cards. What's going on? So you doesn't was... have that standard rotation kind of deal, right? Nah, mm -mm. Okay. nah, Yu-Gi-Oh Yu hat. You can play cards from Yu-Gi-Oh in like the, like in a tournament today, they have a really tight ban list, like a really yeah. tight ban list. Yeah. Um, that's like that they add cards pretty, they, I think it's because it's not a multiplayer format. There's like no multi, there might be multiplayer variations. I don't know if that exists, but there definitely is a one-on-one -on -one thing. So their ban lists are like really heavily moderated. So similar to like our standard or our, um, our, our modern, cause it's a one V one format and like it's, it's tournament. Um, and so the, it's pretty regulated. And so, um, when I realized my cards were going to rotate out of standard, I was like, oh man, this is tough. And I was like having a hard time finding more and more decks that I enjoyed. And so I started fading out of magic. And then in 2015, 2015, I started getting back into it because, um, 
my friends, again, my friends were like, oh, we're playing Commander and we can play all your old cards again. And I was like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. I'm, I mean, I'll check it out. What do you do? You have one of each of each uh, type in your deck, one one card, one of, of, of its type. And I was like, one? You can't have four? That's dumb. I don't like that. He's <laughs> like, oh, and you have a Commander they have to play around. And I was like, wait, what? I, I hate this. This is... This is yeah. weird. I don't. I don't like this at all. Like, I, I wish you want to play elves. He's like, you can play your elves, and I was like, what? He's like, and you can play the old elves too. And I was like, say what? Wait, tell me more. Tell me more. And uh, and I ended up playing um, uh, a bunch of really like janky decks. And then um, a person was like, oh, you can use one of my decks. And he's like, what do you like? And I was like, oh, do you have anything with elves? And like, oh yeah, let me show you this Savala deck. And I was like, mm. okay. And I played Silvala Heart of the Wilds. And I remember my first game with it, it was turn one, it was land, land, dork, pass, turn two, land, Silvala, turn three, land. And I was like, what does this creature do? And they're like, oh, play it. And I was like, okay. And I played it and it was one mana. It was a 12-12 for one mana. I was like, this is wild. I was like, but it just dies? I don't get it. And so I played it and they were like, okay, you have a couple triggers on the stack. And I was like, okay. He's like, first you have the Savala trigger. You can draw a card. And I was like, oh, okay. And the card, the card's perfect in Dreadnought. Um, and so I, <laughs> I, I, I draw, I draw a card and they're like, okay, now what do you want to do? And I was like, well, I have another trigger on it. And I, I was like, it's just going to die. And he's like, it could die. What else can you do? And I was like, can I tap Savala for 12 mana right now? They're like, yes, yes, you can. And I was like, Oh, 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 wait a minute. I can do more. I can do way more. And like, I remember tapping Savala and I sacked it to, uh, uh, there's a, to momentous fall, which is an instant sacrifice, a creature draw cards equal to its power. And I was like, I can just draw 12 now. Wait a minute. This is insane. They're like, yes, yes, it is. It's pretty nuts. Right. And I was mm -hmm. like, I'm addicted. That was it. That, that it was that one game. It literally like hooked me, and I was like, okay, I want to build this deck. I want Silvala. I want to play it. This is so much fun, and I just kept playing over and over, just like loving the deck, loving the deck. And um, when I first started playing it, it wasn't competitive. When I first started playing it, like I was on Teamer Sabretooth and Terracidon and Asceticism and mm -hmm. Acidic Slime and Genesis Wave and all these cards that are like really fun, like janky things, but yeah, like, I remember Timmy cards, yeah. big Timmy cards, but I remember my friend didn't like it because I would play, um, like I would cast Terracidon and then taps of for nine and then cast acidic slime. And they'd be like, dude, you're just going to destroy my lands. You just destroyed, like I have three elephants already. And now you're going to destroy another land. And he's like, mono green land destruction sucks. And I was like, yeah, it does. No. I like it. Uh, it's just like, and I just found more and more things. And then I found lurking predators and I was like, oh, this card's insane. And lurking predators became a card. And I remember that was a gnarly thing because I was in a pod with six, seven people, seven person pod one time. And, uh, and Ooh. I was like getting into like, I was like really trying to get into it. And, uh, I remember turn one land dork, turn two land, uh, Savala turn three land cast Phyrexian soul gorger. Tassel for eight and played Lurking Predators in a seven person pod. By the time it got back to me, I was a problem. I had so many cards on the battlefield. And my, my friends were like, why are you playing this deck? Like this deck is stupid. Like we're not playing this high power. 
And I was like, this isn't, bro, this is just like, I just have a cool commander that does something cool. And, uh, yeah, it's yeah, just man. cool jank, right? It's just cool jank. At that time, it was. It was definitely cool jank. It was not, it had no infinites. It just had creatures that could make a lot of mana really quickly. And I, I learned that I really liked that. I really liked that style of play where I, I had commanders that could just make a lot of mana. That was like, mm -hmm. oh man, I love making a lot of mana. And I love the utility that I can do with the, the mana. And mm -hmm. that was like a big thing for me. For sure. I'm wondering if like some of the, some of your background in Yu-Gi-Oh or like 1v1 magic, did it influence how you, what direction you went with the, your early commander experience, like in terms of ramp or mm -hmm. getting into some of that stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the decks that I played when I played Yu-Gi-Oh, um, were decks there, they were called chaos decks, chaos decks. And, um, chaos decks ran cards like Blockluster soldier envoy of the beginning and chaos emperor dragon envoy of the end. And what the, the main goal of those decks are to your first turn, try and get creatures into your graveyard and be able to put, um, use those creatures to special summon a strong creature. That's like what you're trying to do. And it is a, a effectively a reanimator deck. That's like a, a oh, good okay. way to like, think about it. Like a reanimator deck. There's a card called monster reborn that says, take a creature. And I think in Yu-Gi-Oh it's take a monster, I think, right. Take a monster and put it from your graveyard to the battlefield. That's what monster reborn does. It's, it's, it's reanimate. Uh, so it's like right? a reanimate slash yeah. show and tell kind of shoot mm -hmm. your thing into play. Okay. Yeah. And there's a creature named, um, dark magician of chaos. And it, that creature says when it enters the battlefield, get a, a, a sorcery from your graveyard and put it into your hand. And so what you mm. can do is there's a card called painful choice and painful choice says, um, get five cards separated into two piles and you get one of the piles. Um, your opponent chooses which pile, what you do is you have, um, you, you, your pile is like three dark magicians of chaos and a monster reborn and another card. And they usually don't want to give you like one, you, you make the, the decision so that they have to give you one of the, the, the black luster soldiers or black luster soldiers, sorry, the, one of the dark magicians of chaos. And you then can monster reborn one of them, get the monster reborn back, play monster reborn again, get another one back. So reanimate one, get the reanimate back, reanimate another one, get the reanimate back or get painful choice back, play painful choice again, do something else like ridiculous. Like it was just like, you could win turn one so easily. And I loved how fast I could get a ton of creatures onto the battlefield. It was like so addicting. And mm -hmm. my decks, the decks I'm most known for outside of Kenrith do that. So like Sovala gets out creatures really, a huge creatures really fast. And that mm -hmm. is, allows you to do something with those creatures really fast. Kinnon is the exact same way. Like gets out huge creatures really, really quickly. Um, uh, I love that. I love being able to do that. I have a deck, um, that I'm playing right now. It's a Garuda. It's a, mm, yep. right, it's the, it's the companion, right? So I play that yeah. as a commander. And what I do is I, my, my entire goal is to just cast Garuda and then like, I'll do, I'll get all these, like, uh, I have a ton of clones in the deck. I'll just clone out as it just keep going, keep going, keep going. And the main goal is to do a bunch of clones into like Razaketh and then sack Garuda to get, um, mnemonic betrayal and then cast mnemonic betrayal, knowing that my opponents have just milled like 20 or 30 cards. You're bound and, to get something there. Yeah. 
Yeah, right? Like, trying to, like, just huge creatures, just water falling out of the deck, having a good time. Um, and it's very, like, up, up what I like to do, for sure. Got it. So, uh, going back a little bit, when you were doing the multi, like, six, seven-person pods, mm-hmm. were you in San Diego at that time? Mm-hmm. Um, I lived in San Diego, but my friends were from Santa Barbara. Hashtag Team Tapsack. That is the... That is the... Tapsack. <laughs> Tap sack, okay. like when you tap, tap and sacrifice. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, yeah, my buddies, they, um, they were really, they've been into magic for a long, long time, like way before me mm-hmm. ever even touching the format. And, um, yeah, they would play like, we'd like, there's a bowling alley called Zodos, Zodos in, um, in Santa Barbara. And we would go there and play um magic they had like a side table room that you could play magic in and we would just go there all the time because they were security guards um at the bowling alley and so we would go there and play magic for hours and hours and hours and do these crazy seven person pods and we had this one guy who's into alan and he would always brew these really awful decks into seven pod person pods like imagine playing a pod and someone casts forced fruition yeah just to- yeah make things awkward or just funky? just yeah just to hey guess what i'm playing necklace and y'all are gonna draw seven cards every time you cast a spell like mm-hmm. nuts super mm-hmm. nuts it was just mm-hmm. like really really crazy stuff and uh yeah it was it was good t- it was just great times like those games the night was the game like you play one game and it's just like it lasts for four hours and everyone's just trying to survive <laughs> What was the importance of the security guards? Was it just so that there was no theft or was it something else? Oh, uh, because they were security guards. Like that's why we were able to play in those rooms. Otherwise we have to rent them out. Um, uh, but there were security okay. guards so at, the, some, at the, at the, some free at, access. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was a, was it a connect from one of the, one of the players or. Yeah. 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 Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And if you, if you don't know anything about Santa Barbara, Santa Barbara is a really small town and like, there's not much to do on like any night <laughs> and so um going to the bowling alley was just like oh this is something we could do and it's easy and it's free so we're just gonna do that okay so it was either magic or bo- or bowling okay yeah gotcha yeah 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 for sure <laughs> yeah okay so when you were playing back then uh how did you develop your your style like in terms of just multiplayer dynamics right because i multiplayer Mm -hmm. always require multiplayer gaming in general always requires like some aspects of diplomacy and like Mm -hmm. can you cut deals with people like can you make alliances uh is that when you like really start to hone that like into what you you currently because i i guess standard magic now for edh is four players but like you must have like learned some things back then that that you carried over yeah um i I think the the biggest one is learning how to threat assess things you don't know. Um, when you're playing like these huge pods, there's it's hard to keep track of everything, like because the board states get really complicated, right? It's like, oh, look at there's yeah. there's there's it's nine just stacks super pieces, there's just a lot of yeah. stuff, yeah, yeah. There's nine stacks pieces, and there's seven triggers on every person's turn whenever someone casts a spell. Like that for me was like training on like how to keep track of what's happening. Um, and I think the the biggest one in terms of like politics and trying to figure out, oh, I'm I'm gonna try to make a deal with you. Hey, if you do this thing, I'll help you out. Um, learning when that 
makes you a target and then when when to like help somebody out with a decision that like is kind of tough um i at the end of the day unless i'm playing specifically in a tournament like even on like the playing with power videos or um even during the playing with power videos like we'll be we'll film and someone will make like an egregious misplay um this happened this actually happened recently um where i had a opposition agent and someone tried to gamble and i was like oh we're just not gonna we're gonna rewind that we're just gonna rewind that don't do that because like one it's it makes for poor content and two like yeah that is a boo-boo we would have we would have let you walk it back mm -hmm. like that's mm -hmm. fine um and so i i try and find like the oppor like the opportunities because i want to have better games like, that's what i want i want good games that's all i really care about and so if we can take this opportunity and learn a little bit then great I, awesome the next game we play will be better that's awesome um and um and like i don't know there also is like times where like i'll politic because i know that i know something about like my deck and i think this is like a really important thing if you know something about your deck that offers you an advantage and this is called a and this isn't a term i made up at all um it's called a brewer's advantage and so when you are um there's a deck uh deck called magda magda is a good example magda is a deck that not a lot of people are aware of or were aware of three four months ago and they knew it existed they knew it could win but they didn't see it enough consistently to know how to defend against it and so in um spoiler alert when and i think it was the last in the last monarch tournament um the um the magda player could win at instant speed and someone got rid of a, a thing that would cause him to be able to that was preventing him from searching his library and he was able to just win at instant speed and no one saw it coming and that's all because brewer's advantage can really like help with your ability to politic and push like certain things around it's like oh hey if you get rid of that i'll help you great you got rid of that you don't know my deck can win once that's gone and i'm not saying that's how he played it but it's definitely something that can be um that can be utilized and mm -hmm. the only thing you have to be careful of is the politics that come with doing that because your friends may not trust you as much if you <laughs> if you try and like pull a wool over their eyes and so um it's really a balance of doing that some like a little bit a little bit of like oh you didn't know i could do this now you do it won't happen again um but make sure that you you aren't intentionally trying to be a jerk because at the end of the day you're your friends and you want to play more games uh <laughs> yeah you want to you want to keep that social equity around if you're uh, uh an active play group that you'll see them again mm -hmm. um i also think there's probably like a a human like human nature or there's just a fear element it's like if i don't really know what they're running in their deck if they have the brewer's advantage i might actually optimize for getting rid of that player asap because they might pull something crazy i don't know exactly what it is but i'm kind of scared of what i don't know so i think it's kind of a double-edged sword right having that so-called advantage or hidden information it could be but like think about it like this if you're at a table okay i'm gonna i'm gonna pull out some random commanders if you're at a table with blue farm um i don't know Najila and wart the raid mother 
And I don't know how familiar you are with Wart the Raid Mother, but that is a... Actually, that's it's sad to say, but because I'm not so well acquainted with the Commander, I actually know Wart just because of like when she was around in the in the yeah. block or in the sets. Yeah. Oh, okay. Awesome. Okay. Cool. 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 All right. So if you're in a pot, and let's say you're playing your favorite deck, whatever that is, your threat assessment of Wart the Raid Mother might be not as high as Blue Farm or Najila because... Blue Farm and Najila are more established decks. They're actually, known I, quantities. They're meta, right? Mm -hmm, so. Yeah. But so I wrote, I wrote actually a whole thing on this. So when you, when you are in pods with decks that you don't know, your threat of them might be high initially, but your threat assessment of the decks that you know of are going to incrementally get higher because you know, oh, he casts the dark ritual. We need to focus yep. on him. Oh, they're they doing their thing. Right, they're doing. They're trying to do the thing. We got to be really focused, and even even if they fail on the Nas, it reminds you that they are able to win very fast. And this deck, mm. this Worth the Raid Mother deck that just played a land, Lanowar Elf passed. Once that is like, oh, land Lanowar Elf pass. That's all they did. They didn't play Dark Ritual. They didn't have a turn one Ristic study. Like they can't be that powerful. Right. That mindset, like just they're not setting just, off that alarm. Right. So mm -hmm. you're, you're only There's, responding to like the, mm -hmm. the immediate threat, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that, and that one turbo player who's trying to win, who's trying to force it through is now three V one, right? They're now three V one. And then the, the player that no one's really paying attention to, who's like slowly building their board is now getting stronger. So now the three V one, they kill the, 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 the turbo player. Now it's three V three, but now the you know the the worth raid mother deck they they now have the board state they were able to catch up they have you know five or six lands now they have all their dorks they were able to cast wart and they're now casting their um and they cast their allosaur shepherd um and so their green spells can't be countered but that wasn't we didn't we didn't really care about that because they just cast wart what else could happen and then oh all of a sudden there is a um what's the name of the spell i'm thinking of there is there is a green spell that says um, uh, choose a type, um, search your light or reveal cards from top of your library until you reveal that uh, that number of uh, a number of whatever type you've chosen equal to the number of that type on the battlefield. And so Wart is a goblin warrior, right? Wart is a goblin warrior, and um, you choose goblin for your first type and then you conspire it to do a second type. Um, and the second type you choose is warrior. And so you happen to have uh, Kiki Jiki in your battle, in your, in your, in your deck, you put Kiki Jiki on the battlefield and you also have zealous conscripts, which is a warrior. And you put that on the battlefield and then, mm -hmm. oh, look, I win now. And you've spent all of your resources fighting the turbo player that you have none for me. And all of my stuff was uncounterable anyways, because you let me develop my board. And so it's important to realize that while you are going to keep an eye on the turbo decks, that the real, the real focus should be who's developing their board. Like the, the turbo player might be developing their board faster, but the not turbo player, the, the maybe more parasitic deck is also developing their board. And once, once this turbo player is gone, who's going to be like in a good position? Oh, wait, it's this worth the raid mother deck. Weird, weird. They, this isn't a good deck. That's going to be the thing. This isn't a good deck. Blah, blah, blah. Um, 
but it's because they weren't getting solo attention. I think this is part of the dynamic of multiplayer that's really interesting is that any game could turn into a game of arch enemy. And, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and when we get into that mindset, it becomes a pack mentality. And this comes back to like, just some of the weird, interesting social dynamics of humans, um, where we want to attack together because we're now unified and then, Oh, it's now we're now all of us are now on our own again. Wait, now it's two against one, but the person who are against, we don't have enough firepower to stop them. And it's, it's just, it's just really interesting. It's an interesting dynamic. How do you get better at that sort of multiplayer threat assessment? Is it just reps or is it studying the game or something else? Um, I think it's a mix. Um, I think that the, <clears throat> the biggest, the biggest thing I can say, uh, reps are going to help you more than anything else. Playing against people who are better than you is going to be the thing I recommend more than anything else. Um, I have gotten my butt kicked a lot. I still get my butt kicked. Um, cause there's a lot of people that I think are really, really good at magic and I am, I'm still learning, like, I'm still learning things that, because I didn't, I didn't start playing modern. Like I wasn't, you know, I didn't play legacy. Um, and there's like, there's things you learn in legacy specifically legacy, modern, I would say maybe vintage vintage is a little bit of its own monster, but, um, specifically in legacy, like how to understand cards. Um, cause it can get really complicated. So something that if you were to walk away with it for this, if you don't play CDH, but you wanted to get better cards that make other cards change zones easily are generally good cards. And when I, when I say this, I mean, cards that can put cards from your, from your library to the graveyard, from your graveyard to your hand, from the battlefield to your hand, like the cards that can do that really well are are decent. So a good example of a card that's really good at doing this is uh Bolus's Citadel. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Bolus Citadel allows you to play cards from the top of your library for free, essentially, right? As long as you have 30 life, you should be fine. Mm -hmm. Um, really good at doing that. Really, really, really good. Um, Elsha is a commander. Elsha is really good at doing that too. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Timna Krom, really good at putting cards from your from your battle, from your, uh, library to your hand, really good at doing that. Right. And so when you're making your decks, you want to think, what am I trying to do? And some decks are trying to put cards from their, um, deck to the battlefield. Goto is a good example of that. Really, really good at that. It only needs to put one card. And that's the thing is like the, the commander tutors for the thing it needs, um, to win. That's really, really powerful. And so when you are, um, when you're doing that, when you're trying to think of what, what can these cards do? Um, that's a really good way to evaluate, um, threat and how to get better with it. And then playing against people who are simply just better. Like, and like, it's so funny. Every person that like, there's a lot of online discords, um, that you can play with hashtag playing with power. Subscribe to the Patreon. You can play against us if you want. Uh, <laughs> playing with power. Yes. <laughs> but, um, but so if you like, Every person that I play with online tends to be the person who wins the tournaments at their LGSs, right? So it's like, like yeah, the cream of the crop or of their local region, right? Like in the, yeah, in their, in their, in their LGS, right. But then they come, they start playing online and they are like, oh, wow. Like there's so many people that are, that are also like maybe at my skill level. 
and I'm not saying me, but the metaphorical person who's playing online. And, yeah. and then you just get a lot, you get a lot better, like, because you're trying to play against people who are, who are really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had like recently, I've been very fortunate to be able to play in some pods where I'm like, oh man, like I'm getting demolished. Like I didn't, I didn't realize the skill gap was, was that immense. And it's, it's me winning probably like 30% of my games. Um, mm-hmm which is good, which is really, really good. Um, but it's a stark difference from me winning like 60 or 70% of my games. Um, because I just want to, I just want to get better. Like I want, I don't, I, I want to get, you know, people who can just see through any type of politic that I'm trying to push out. They just are like, Oh yeah, you're trying to play Kinnon. Oh no, Kinnon's going to die. That's just, you're just not going to have Kinnon. I'm like, dang it. Like, you're not even going to let it one turn every time, every time. Oh, that's a, you know, you get this lightning bolt. Um, and yeah, so just playing with people better than you <clears throat> a lot of times and you'll, you'll catch on. And then having conversations after the game, mm. what do you guys think I could have done better? Right? Like a post-game is, analysis. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Th- those are the best, especially in like, if you're able to play magic, like in real life. Um, those post game, like, oh, um, this is what you could have done better. This is, these are the things I would have done. You probably shouldn't have kept this opening seven. Um, mm-hmm. those are the best for skill building for sure. Mm-hmm. You, you have to kind of, uh, excuse my ignorance. I don't watch a ton of, I admit, I don't watch a ton of CEDH gameplay mm-hmm. videos. Um, but I am wondering if like there are, I don't see a lot of videos where they do the, the post game analysis and, Mm. or like in-game commentary where it's, it's done like competitive one V one commentary, if you know what I mean, like, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because when you're, when you're watching like a GP or a pro tour, they're really trying to like threat assess and like put themselves in that player's shoes. What will they do? Um, it's very serious, right? And mm-hmm. of course, it's color commentary, but most of it is kind of like, what's the play? Like, why did they do that? Analysis, what should they do next? And they also do the sort of interviews with people after the game. Like, mm-hmm. how did you think it, It like, what What could you have done differently, et cetera? Or sometimes like you're someone streaming and they'll, they'll talk about their own place, right? Mm-hmm. I don't seem to see as much of that in the kind of multiplayer formats, including CEDH. And I'm wondering if that's like, a gap that should be addressed, if you know what I mean, based on this mm-hmm. conversation. Um, yeah. So I guess only- it's sort of the fundamental challenge where a lot of people maybe watch magic content more for entertainment than to mm-hmm. actually learn and level up. And you're also performing in a way because when you play in front of a camera for a recording, you're also trying to entertain as well as have fun and win. So, um, so I'm wondering if maybe my question is flawed from that sense i think that there is some some content creators that like have a little bit of that i think game nights has some of that um where they 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 talk but i don't think it's a lot of their a lot of their content isn't necessarily geared towards cdh um i i can think of a handful of creators that do a little bit of commentary but i think what i'm i think what you're looking for and what i'm interpreting is like this very this is the play he's trying to do um, it's really challenging because he has these barriers or they have these barriers and there are some opportunities for them to maybe exploit hand sizes or, you know, th- if they do a wheel of fortune, yeah. you know, they're looking to draw into the seven yeah. cards because that's just enough for them to use an underworld breach or whatever. So, you know, there's a ton of things that you could do. Um, 
the best place I could say, if you're looking for that, are looking at, looking at like VODs, um, or replays of tournament commentary. Um, Monarch has it, Eminence has it, where they have these casters, uh, playing with power has it. We'll have casters like talk, and then you can rewatch that and get a little bit of understanding when you're, when you're, um, but it's from the, it's from the commentators specifically. It's not from the players. I think what would be amazing. And I actually agree with you. There is not enough of this content. So if there's anyone who wants to do this, I, I 100% support it. Um, if you were to have like a very well edited video that was chopped up and like was able to skip through a lot of the stuff, like I don't want to see you search. I don't even want to see you play lands. I just want to see your plays. Like how do you play the game yeah. of magic? Right. Um, maybe focusing then, on like key moments and then mm -hmm. have the person kind of talk through their own plays as commentary, right? Like mm -hmm. what, what were they thinking at the time? And like, how do they end up on option a versus B? Like, cause those are, those are kind of interesting for someone like me with more of a competitive background, like in terms mm -hmm. of understanding that. Yeah. Oh, for sure. No, that's, that's actually like, I think that's needed. Um, I talked to, there's a, there's a, another, another Alex, um, uh, and Vivaris, who is a legacy player. And they recently got into like competitive CDH or CDH and they are, they are, they are on a, they're, they're on it. And so, um, speaking to people who, who, who defeat me easily. Um, so, <laughs> so, uh, but like one of the things was breaking down and like not only like magic, but like the fundamentals of what you're doing and, and giving people an understanding of here's why I'm making this decision, um, will also help people brew better decks. And so like, there's a card called strike it rich. Are you familiar with strike it rich? Strike it rich. I am, but maybe you can explain it yeah. for the, for the listeners. Yeah. yeah. So strike it rich. It just said it's one red. It says make a treasure. It's all it does. And then it has encore, which you can, you can cast it from your graveyard and, and make three more treasures for four mana. Um, not the greatest spell. Like it's, it just is what it is. However, it does something really, really specific. And it is, it makes a treasure, which you can use later, which is fine, but also it increases storm count. Really important. It increases storm count and decks that care about storm should be playing this kind of card. Um, you have another spell, usually Striker Rich is paired with one of two commanders, Rograk or Krark. And Rograk is just a zero mana red commander. Again, increases storm count. Cast Rograk, cast your Striker Rich, you already have storm of two. Um, mm -hmm. That matters. That so matters because there's decks that use cards like Brain Freeze, which mills you for each spell you've played. And you can win with Underworld Breach and Brain Freeze if you simply have a Strike at Rich, right? A Strike at Rich, and you cast Rograk. Like, it gives you enough Storm to, to, to do the things. And so it's just, it's so, it's so important to realize that these little, these little card choices and, and understanding why these weird cards are in a deck that seem innocuous, but are actually really, really strong or can be really, really powerful, um, why they exist. And for me, that's been like a big thing. And I, and I, I love the idea. I, I'm like really running with this because I really like this idea and I want this to stick with someone to make content that dives into plays with the player and have the player be like, Hey, this is what I was thinking. 
it didn't work out, but I was really trying to do this. I was really trying to push this, you know, Thassa's Oracle because I thought I could do it, but I, you know, everything got countered and the world sucks, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's what I think about that. How did you even make the transition to CEDH in the first place? <clears throat> um, that was a natural progression. Um, I like hobbies. I'm a big hobby person. And, um, CD, so Savala is a CDH like commander already. And Savala only wants to get more, like get more powerful. That's all like the deck really does. It like, it wants to be more efficient. And I learned of like cards that you could do or not, you could do that you could use to like make Savala do its thing. And then someone was like, have you heard of bro storm? And I was like, no, what's bro storm? And like, oh yeah, it runs cards like great Oak guardian. And I was like. Great Oak Guardian sounds horrible. It's a six mana untap your stuff. Like, why would you, why would you play this? I've never been so wrong before. I, I accept it now. I accept it. Uh, I remember the first time I cast Great Oak Guardian and I was like, oh wait, it makes everything big. And then it untaps everything. Wait, I can bounce it back to my hand with Teemer Sabretooth. Oh, so I can recast this and make infinite mana, make my dudes super, super big. And then just kill everybody. Oh, sure. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot mm -hmm. of sense. Uh, <laughs> it's like a Rube Goldberg contraption that you're just figuring out in real time in your head. Yeah. Okay, these all fit together. Yeah, exactly. You you just, you all of a sudden, you're like, oh, wow, this is it. And that feeling felt great. I really liked that. And I wanted to explore what other decks could like do and how I could get that feeling from other decks. And I ended up sticking with Silvala Brostorm for a long time. And then I played Prime Speaker Vanifar. Prime Speaker Vanifar. Vanifar. Yeah. yeah, that was my like second, second love. And then, uh, and then I discovered Five Colors, and I was like, oh wow, this is amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah. The Tazri, Tazri was my third CDH deck. Tazri Food Chain before Niv Mizzet was uh, printed, and then Niv Mizzet was the uh, Food Chain commander for a whole, a whole set, a whole set. And then, <laughs> and right after. Uh, First sliver got spoiled and then I was on food chain for a bit. And then I transferred to Kenrith. Um, mm. Kenrith was the, uh, Kenrith was my first deck that I was like, okay, I'm going to buy the cards for it. Cause before that I didn't have any of the duels didn't have anything. And then I, I'd been playing magic for since 2009 up to this point. I was like, let me trade in this, this collection and get some of these cards. And that was right before everything like blew up. Like before, like everything got really crazy expensive. The cards were expensive then too, but they weren't like. I wasn't spending a thousand dollars on a land like that wasn't a thing. And so I, uh, yeah, I played, um, I played Kenrith a lot and that turned into Kenrith evolution because before it was like flash Hulk stuff, all mm -hmm. this, like, you know, flash Hulk. So good. Oh my gosh. Magic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, but like, I really liked the mid range. I really liked that. I thought that was really, really mm -hmm. fun. And so, I started playing a lot of Kenrith. I played a uh, Kenrith so much that I got, I was like, all right, let's, let's like try to let, like get this to be legit. And, um, I started playing it everywhere. And so Kenrith um, became your project. Like you wanted to mm -hmm. make sure that it became viable in your yeah. way. Yeah. I wanted, I wanted the version cause there was a couple of versions of it already, but I wanted the version that I was playing to be like the the Kenrith deck, like, oh, that's like, that's like the, the, the number one Kenrith deck. 
And so I spent a lot of time on it. Um, and there's a lot of people that helped, like so many people, um, like Shaper, Braden, uh, Alton, a comedian, like all these, like, guys, like there's a, a ton of people that helped. Can, can Sh- you tell me when it was that you like started doing more like online, I don't know if the right term is like partnership, but just started working with people to exchange ideas because like you had mentioned <clears throat> like, you know, there's discords and there's like ways to play mm-hmm. webcam CDH or EDH. Mm-hmm. But like, was there some kind of demarcation when you started to like more actively like work with people online on ideas and things like that? Yeah. So when, um, so I started playing online more because I was noticing that I was, I'm, I'm, I was kind of far from any game store and I wanted to play during the week. I wanted to play during the week and I, I was like, well, maybe I can play online. Right. And I, I, I did the MTGO thing for a bit. And I didn't really like it. And someone was like, you could just get a webcam and play the webcam to your play mat. I was like, oh, what? That's sick. And I was like, well, let me find. And I went to um, play EDH was my first um, online discord. And then uh, I found uh, the CDH Nexus was my second. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. Like, I am like so happy about this. And uh, I started playing a lot there. And that's where like, I, I really started getting into magic because Prior to that, prior to that, it was a majority of, of it was like LGS stuff and everyone there is playing the same kind of power level, which isn't very high because no one can afford the cards. Like they're ridiculously expensive. And so, um, and so when I started playing online, people were like, oh, you can proxy stuff. I was like, oh, what is, what? I don't even know. I don't even know what that word means. I don't even know what that word means. Cause all of my decks at that time were like. They didn't need to be proxy. The cards were cheap enough. Like, in the, mm, mm, mm. um, and then I, I, um, I started just playing a lot, just playing on, on, on these like forums. And I noticed that my games were getting better, but also that I was starting to like meet more people who were interested in the same decks. And we just spend hours just theory crafting and trying to figure out like, what is like the best cards to put in these decks. And with Kenrith, that was like a big part of that. Um, of just like talking about commanders and trying to figure out like, what's, what's the best commander and, and what's the best strategy for this commander. And, um, and I found myself just like getting some cool roots with some really, really awesome people. Um, I would say like of that, um, that's where I like really had the philosophy that playing with people who are better than you will make you better. Um, it was just me just getting my face bashed in by, <laughs> by the community. Um, uh, I would say the person that probably beat me the most was the person that has the most wins against me is a Shawnee or is Jamaican. Jamaican is another guy from playing with power. Um, I've known him for a really long time and he has beaten me more, more exclusively than any other magic person. Like ever like it's crazy he he's he's crushed me so many times he's such a good magic player it's insane um but he also helped me build like a hundred decks or so where do you think this comes from like because i know that people magic players usually people who stay in magic are able to withstand the losing kind of pick themselves back up try to figure out how to improve their game which sounds like that's definitely what you did on your Mm -hmm. in your path there's other players that just kind of get 
frustrated maybe and they they want to stick mm. to casual or they may even just opt out of playing the game entirely because they're just not that into it mm -hmm. so you being in the first category what where do you think you get that from just sort of like the mental toughness to be like i i'm losing mm. but i still want to keep grinding and still want to figure out how i can get better learning the learning how to enjoy a game is really important like mm. I've enjoyed many games that I've lost, like a lot of games that I lost. And I care about a good game. That's what I care about. Like if I lose, I lose like, but like, it's a game, it's a game, it's a game, it's a game. That's it's so game. you don't get emotional about it or you've learned to manage it. Um, there's, yeah, absolutely. If I, but I get emotional about games where I'm, I messed up. It's like, it's right. like. Right. If someone like has a, a misplay counter, or something. Yeah. yeah. If I do, if I do Thassa's Oracle, right. Thassa's Oracle and I cast demonic consultation and someone counters my demonic consultation, then okay. They stop me. I didn't mess up. But if I like cast, uh, I cast my Thassa's Oracle, but I don't have the mana to cast a demonic consultation. Like I mess, I didn't, I tapped it out wrong. Like that's my mistake. And I get frustrated with myself, but like mm -hmm. I be getting frustrated from losing games in commander specifically um is most easily solved by learning how to appreciate like a good game um i love playing a good game like oh man that game had a lot of interaction we all tried like all this cool stuff was happening and then person one like hey pff, great job like you did a great job piloting your deck that's awesome let's play another game because that's that's what you can do you can just i can play another game um and if you find yourself always losing if you're always losing, there's probably something in your strategy that is fault faulty. Um, mm -hmm. and I have found that like, if you're always losing because you're always trying to go for it, then you probably should stop trying to go for it. Like you should probably wait a turn, up, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. Wait a turn. Let someone else absorb all the interaction because it seems like you're using all of it. And then the person who goes after you is winning because everyone's used all their interaction on you. Um, and. I think that's just like a really important piece, learning how to enjoy when people are interactive, when the game is highly interactive. Um, yeah. And then some, some people just don't like that. Some people don't like having to like think that in depthly about a game that can be simple sometimes. Um, mm -hmm. And everyone spells resolve. <laughs> oh, those good days. Would you say that enjoyment equals winning for you personally, or is it something else? It's definitely something else. Like, yeah, it's definitely something else. Like you mm -hmm. had mentioned, for example, not misplaying, right? Like mm -hmm. you can't control other people, what they do, mm -hmm. but you can control what you do. So like playing, it sounds like playing like within your parameters or like playing as well as you can is a part of enjoyment, right? Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 Okay. If, if I, yeah, if I were to. Yeah, if, if you if your if your barometer for fun is is if I don't win, I don't have fun, then multiplayer magic is not for you. Um mm -hmm. single play like like single player will be for you because your win rate is like fifty fifty. Um so you have considerably more wins, but in in yeah, in multiplayer, like the average win rate is twenty five percent. Which is low. Just by virtue of the baseline, right? Yeah. Four players. Yeah. yeah. So um, you have to expect that. And if you expect anything more than that, then 
I don't know what to tell you. Like at yeah. some point it's, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So I find this interesting because you decided not to go down the modern legacy route and you went, you continued on to the multiplayer route from the bowling alley to now. Right. I assume. So is that, is that the main criteria for you is that your enjoyment is on these vectors or axes and therefore you decided to go this way or am I simplifying? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, and like, so I enjoy playing the game because, uh, I, because I enjoy brewing decks. I enjoy brewing decks. That's like my, one of my favorite things to do. And, mm -hmm. um, and so a, a part of that enjoyment comes from putting a strategy into a deck that, that no one has seen or is really underutilized and then using it to great effect and seeing like someone be like, Whoa, I've never seen that before. And be like, yeah, it's cool. Huh? Yeah. I'm gonna put that in my deck. Oh, sick. I'm glad you like that. That's, that's cool. That, that to me is really exciting. So I guess that leads to my question is like, when you want people to, or when you want to develop that Kenrith deck mm -hmm. so that your build is the more popular one or the more ubiquitous one, mm -hmm. where does that come from? Like, cause like um, in, in, in some respects, like building a magic deck, whether it's commander or not is self-expression, right? It's about expressing yourself, mm -hmm. but there's also a part of it, maybe being a now we're getting into kind of like the content creator or like public person territory where it's like, there's always this kind of thing where magic players want to be known for X. Like I want to be associated with that. So for you, like what, what motivates you in, in, in kind of wanting to have that legacy, no pun intended for your, um, for your build. Yeah. Um, so this is actually an interesting question. So recently, recently I, I changed. I changed my list on, uh, Moxfield, uh, for my Kenrith list. And I collaborated with another guy. His name's also Alex, um, or accept accepted is his like moniker, um, on Moxfield. And I talked about, cause he recently won a tournament with, um, with his Kenrith evolution list. And <clears throat> when I think about, um, decks and like brewing decks and like really trying to create something awesome. Um, I also want to remember that there's like, uh, there's going to be a matter of relevancy. That's going to be a big part of it. And some decks, some decks are going to have their phases. A good example is like Timna Thrasios. Timna Thrasios had its phase. Like it was just top dog for a long time. And now the deck is okay. It's okay. There's Razakats, which is a Timna Thrasios deck, which is really good. Um, but it has a, it has a, a hard time maybe being able to outpace some of the more fast Grixis sure. decks, it's the, right? It's the metagame and decks have a rise and fall. Right. Effect, yeah. Right? And so, um, with my Kenrith deck, I wasn't playing it as much and Al, the other Alex was, and I was talking to him about, you know, I want to make sure that the deck stays relevant. Like I want to make sure that the deck stays really, really strong, very, very consistent. And our lists are similar, but let, I, I would, I want your list to have more of the spotlight. So I switched over the lists and it's still like the same idea, right? It's this, this mid range Kenrith plan, mid range, good stuff. Um, but the list is now fully updated and it, it is one tournaments. Um, and the list is called a two, a two Evo, really excited. A two Evo two Alex's a twos. Um, and, um, 
And I, cause I want people to see the stuff. Like I want, I want people to like see a list and be inspired by it, be inspired and, and want to make their own versions, make their own changes. Like that, that to me is really exciting. Um, there's like, a there's going to be, there's going to be decks that are going to be known. Like Winota is a deck that was, that's just known. It's a really popular deck. Um, but I, I want the, the flip side of it is, oh, I know how to play Boros stacks. I know how to play that now because I played a lot of Winota. Um, and oh, I know, I know how to play five color mid range because I've played a lot of Kenrith. Oh, great. Great. Awesome. I'm glad you got, I'm glad that your game has improved and you can now play better games. Is, is it okay for you if people label you as the player known for the Kinnon deck or the Kenrith deck? Is that something that yeah. it's good, right? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. I, I, I put a lot of time and effort. I think I have over a thousand games on both decks. Um, and like, that is like, if you want to, if that's what I'm known for, then awesome. That's great. I would like to ensure that people don't tie their identities to it, to what they, what they've made. Like, I don't, I, if, if I'm known for being the Kenrith guy, that's great. If people know me by that, but that's not how I, I identify myself. I'm not like, oh, I'm the guy who brewed Kenrith or I'm the guy that blew that brewed Kenan. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm how, just, how do you identify yourself then? Uh, I'm, I'm a magic, the gathering player. Excellent. Yeah. 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 I, I, I like to play the, like when I tell like strangers, like, oh yeah, I play a game. Oh yeah. I play a game. I play a card game because like. I don't know. It's, it's a hobby. It's something I enjoy. Like that's, it's not who I am. It's just something that I like to do. And the who I am part comes in like trying to build other people up to like connect who, with who they want to connect with. Like, that's like the, that's what I want to be known as like, mm. Oh, Alex, Alex helped me meet, you know, this uh, humans of magic, right? <laughs> like, Oh, what? Oh, that's awesome. You met James. Oh, James is great. Yeah, 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 yeah. Have you done? Have you been on this podcast? Not, not a great example. I'm the lowest rung on that totem pole, but yeah. <laughs> oh man, but like that's the thing is that like like it's it's yeah like like everyone starts off somewhere. Like everyone has like my pot my podcast, uh, like late nights has like 235 subscribers, and we've been around for late nights has been around for a year. We've been around for a year, and like it's just like it just is what it is. Like it's it it's fine. Like, and you'll have opportunities to clap. And some of your episodes might be like amazing bangers. And some of your episodes might be flops and you learn from that and you keep putting out content. And, and then hopefully from this, there might be another person that we get on here who is like more known than I am. And you're like, Oh, look at that. You now have like post Malone on your podcast. And like, what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 For sure. For sure. Um, just to backtrack ever so slightly, like at what point did you become a content creator or became a more mm. public figure? Was it like organic or was there like a certain point in your, in your life where you became that? Yeah. I, I started playing more, um, in tournaments. Um, and I did well in a couple of tournaments. And so once I did well in a couple of tournaments, I got like asked to do deck techs, um, and play on some people's streams because they saw like, they were like, oh, wow, like you play a lot of magic and, um, they may have heard of me because I 
I won a recent tournament or something, or not won a recent tournament, but did well in a recent tournament. And, um, and then I like, I started creating content in the beginning of the pandemic, like 2020. Mm-hmm. And it was like, just like, I was just on other people's things like, oh, and that, that was, I think that the old, the best piece of advice I can give for any person is just be nice, be nice to people and like good things will happen. That's all I really did. I was like, oh, let me just be really, really nice and not be a jerk and cause people problems. And look at that. You're asking me to come back to your, to your stream or whatever. And I, and I try not to turn down anything. Like if you want me to be on your podcast and talk for whatever amount of time, or if you want to talk magic or you want me to help you with a deck, like I rarely will say no, rarely, rarely, unless it's like, I don't have time. Like, I'm sorry. Like I just, my son wants to go yeah. to the park. Can't can't help you. Yeah. Don't know what to tell you. Um, but just being open to like every opportunity and like, yeah, sure. I'm down. I'll collaborate. Sure. And then knowing, and especially if you have like the, like wherewithal to, to see through some people's like facades, like, oh, your intentions aren't really to like get to know me or like anything. You just want my name to maybe be attached to your product and you're really trying to push your product. Mm. Um, and I've seen that and I've been very wary of like, oh, I've seen this like group of individuals who are trying to do certain things. And as long as you're like, you know, you're you're a little wary, like you can be pretty giving and and be open to collaborate with whoever you want to collaborate with. That must be where your social skills and the psych degree and, uh, your your background really comes (laughs) into play, man. Like you can, or even just like, even through playing like multiplayer magic, you got to know how to read people. Mm -hmm. Um, especially when you are playing at a high level. Right. So, um, that that's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, not, not interesting, but like, that's so important, right? That's so important to like, to see people for who they are, because yeah, there may be, there maybe there are some folks out there who are a little bit more like, um, I, I'm not going to try to say this like necessarily negative, but they're a lot, they're like very transactional maybe is the way that I would put it. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like they're, maybe they're not like predatory, but they're, they're transactional. So the um the transactional human can be taxing <laughs> um but it's definitely yeah you just there there's a guy ken do you know who ken is ken ken he's like the the clark guy ken bellman right yes the ah oh, what a wonderful human what a he wonderful is human. supposed to be like one of the premier voices in CEDH, according to people who know CEDH and have told me about him. So that's, yeah, Ken, um, his reputation precedes him. Let's yeah. put it that way. Yeah. Ken is not a transactional human, by the way. Uh, but he, uh, he said something like, about- Speaking of transactional yeah, yeah, humans. Right, yeah. He's not one. <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a gem. Um, okay. He, he said, he said um, a, a CEDH player who has amazing technical skill but average people skill will often do much more poorly than a CDH player who has amazing, amazing people skills and okay technical skills. Is that in terms of content or in terms of gameplay or both or? In terms of, of both. Like if you have, if you have good people skills and decent technical skill, you'll go really far, really, really far. Um, the, um, the, the hardest part, I think of, 
of magic, multiplayer magic, is you're playing a game against people and you're trying to win. And there's a, and we talked about it just a little, like for a, a second. It's like, oh, I just want to win the game. That, that, that carries in the game. Oh, you, you just want to win the game. That's all you, that's all you're here for. Okay. And that's why you make some of the more cutthroat decisions you're making because you just want to win the game. So you, you're going to strip mine, my only land. Okay. That makes for, that makes me not really want to play with you. Cause you're, I know you're going to make plays like that instead of just leaving my land alone and let me play the game of magic. It's that interaction is like really important. And so it, how serious do you want to take your games? If you're taking your game so serious that you get upset every time you lose, then like we have to learn how to walk back a little bit. Um, like, why are we playing this game if we're not having fun? That's so interesting because it suggests that you have to really go long-term beyond one game. Whereas mm -hmm. I think in one V one, oftentimes you don't really care about that. Right. Mm -hmm. If I may generalize, like mm -hmm. you're just, you're just wanting to win. Like it's maybe this is a weird thing that I'm holding on to, but it's just like the reason why I've been mostly one V one is because I, I feel like it's more pure that way. Mm -hmm. Like when the rules are like the objectives, I, I don't, it's not even about fun or enjoyment. It's about all players understand the objective. Now, of course you can like circumvent it because some people want to win in their own way. And I play legacy and that's certainly the case. People want to win with their brews, right? You mm -hmm. mentioned being a, a brewer. Like if you're playing legacy, you might not be playing the best deck like Delver. You might actually play a deck that is competitive, but can, but, it, but that you brewed, right? Um, mm -hmm. the, the legacy version of Kenrith, right? But, um, mm -hmm. for the most part, like it's very pure. And this is something that I'm just telling you as a, as a person who's starting to try to understand CDH and have more empathy for different types of players, like, mm -hmm. and, and thoughts, like it's very, it's still very hard for me to wrap my head around that. It's like, here's something that is called competitive EDH. But the goal is not always to win, or maybe the local goal is to win, but then the longer term is not about winning or it's about something else. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's, it's a very, it, cause it, it's, it's part of like, it's intrinsic value of being a social format, right? Like commander, right. commander in its, at its core is a social form. There's that social layer. Mm -hmm. And so like, there has to be, and they talk about this a lot in like, in casual commander, it's like a rule zero rule zero conversation and um in competitive magic i i play in a lot of pods where like people will do the strip mine your only land um no one plays strip mine but they'll the, like an, an action like that and the games in that when that happens you just accept it and know that like because we've had this conversation, this rule zero conversation that we are going to try to win. We're going to try to win in any way that we can. And so I'm going to do this action and it, it, it's going to suck. It's going to suck. It feels this way, but I'm not going to take it personally because I know that this is the, this is the, the format we've set up for ourselves. We've set up this very intense. We've There's gonna, a contract that was yeah, exactly yeah. this social contract. When you don't have that social contract and you play just like with a bunch of random people in a competitive like tournament or something like that people are going to get upset because you don't have that opportunity to do that. Like, even though you're in a tournament, it's like, oh, but I still want to play magic. There's still that social fabric that exists. And so, um, it's not pure. It's not, it's definitely not the highest levels of CDH might be more what you're looking for that. Like 
I'm going to, I'm going to do this thing because it's in my best interest to stop you in this way. Um, and I, I think you would enjoy higher levels of CDH to great effect. I think you would really enjoy that. Um, but the grind to get there would be kind of a slog. Mm. Okay. In the sense that you have to find those games or, or in the sense that it is a progression in a way, like those um, levels, you have to find the, you have to find the, the, the play group. Mm. Yeah. And uh, if you, I mean, if you have access to the play group, like you are in, you're in China. I'm in China. Yeah. 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 So China has a huge CDH scene. Oh, um, absolutely. This yeah. is actually one of the reasons why I started interviewing CDH people is because one of my, um, really, really good friends is like a diehard EDH and now CDH player. So he's told me all these things over the years and I've just been like, uh, I got to learn more because yeah. this thing is growing. So, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So like in, you should have no problem finding a play group, like of people who are, who are legit, like trying to win. Um, I know that the Chinese and Japanese metas are very different than like, yeah, the, they can be the, different. Yeah. Then, well, like just different than like the, the metas here in the U S like in the U S I would say in the U S in Finland, Sweden, and Canada, like turbo is like pretty strong. It's probably like one of the strongest things, but I've seen like mm -hmm. Karn be like a really strong deck in, um, in the Japanese metas and as well as, uh, Morrowind. Like I was just like mm -hmm. surprising decks and I was like, what is, what is happening? Yeah. This is really yeah. interesting. Pretty um, wild sometimes like different metas and countries mm -hmm. and regions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but once you find that, um, once you find that pod, you will, you will have a really good time because you'll have that conversation and then your, your games will be really good for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I want to also go back to something you, you mentioned, which is, uh, you know, be nice, right. Mm -hmm. Or don't be a dick is, <laughs> is the flip side of that. Um, other than that, is there, is there, are there other ways that you can effectively collaborate with people? Um, cause we, you know, we, you had, you had recently tweeted about like, uh, maybe in jest, but maybe serious as well. Like, you know, you want to collab with people. So it's mm -hmm. like, if you're, if you're out there trying to do that or you're up and coming, like, how does one do that other than the baseline, like be nice and don't be a dick. Ask, just ask like Twitter is free. I would just ask like, it's, it's, if you want to collaborate a good example, jo Josh, um, mind muscle magic is his, uh, tweet twitter handle and um and he is like one of the nicest humans i've ever met he's just the kindest soul and he had a video early on when he started making content and he had like sheldon menery he had like a bunch of people from the commander advisory group and the rc like all of these people come onto his to his channel his channel didn't have very many people like i think he had like 700 followers and on his youtube channel and like these huge names were coming and all he did is ask, he just sent an email. And that's the one thing about the commander community is that everyone's usually willing to work with each other. Um, and will like give you their time. If you just give them like a little bit of room, like, oh, do you have time to meet? Like right now at the time of this recording, it's October. Um, do you have time to meet in January? Can I get like, can I get 10 minutes of your time? In January, that'd be yeah. amazing, right? Yeah. Oh, for sure. 
You gave me three months. Oh, yeah, we can do that. Yeah, I give you 20 minutes, 30 minutes of my time. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Just ask. Like, people are so willing. People are so willing, for sure. What do you think is uh, unique about the the commander or CDH community for that? Because it's not often the case, uh, perhaps in other magic sub communities. Is there like a historical reason, traditional, or it's just sort of like a pay it forward kind of deal? Um, again, commander is a social format. Like that's like, it's, it carries over even like outside of magic. Like you are, you have to, you have to talk to each other. It's not just like, I'm going to win the game. You're going to lose the game. It's we are playing this game together and kind of exploring the space together. And so, I don't know. I found that like commander players tend to be really, um, sociable and agreeable when it comes to like collaborating. Cause at the end of the day, it's like, this might lead to a game and we're all addicts of cardboard. So. <laughs> for yeah. sure yeah yeah uh, that's that's good to keep in mind um and and yeah i've seen that with you like you're very open and that's 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 fantastic so how did you get connected with the playing with power collective like when did that come about because you had mentioned ashani and some members of mm-hmm. pwp but like how did that start to was it just organic? Like just, just, you did the webcam games and the communities and it just happened or like what happened there? Yeah. Um, so I had been talking to Mike from playing with power. He, he really liked, uh, my Kenrith deck and, um, and you know, it, we just had a couple conversations and, um, one day he was like, Hey, cause I had been doing a lot of like just social media stuff and He's like, Hey, um, do you want to talk a little bit? And I was like, sure. And he was like, you know, we are thinking maybe about bringing you on to play with power. And I was like, you know what? That sounds like a good idea. Um, I would like that. That'd be great. <laughs> and, and, um, it was, it was just a really, it, yeah, it was a really organic, just like our, our goals just happened to align. Um, and, uh, I really, I mean, I really liked the, the work that they did. Um, they, I think for a lot of CDH players, like it was probably the first CDH channel that I saw that like played CDH and I was like, oh, wow, this is really cool. Um, and yeah. And then, and then I joined them and it's been a year this month. How, how, how's that experience been just the, the 12 months with this collective? Oh, playing with power is dope. They're cool. Um, they're really, really nice guys. The, uh, there's a lot of intention, a lot of intention. And I really, really like that. And like, they're always open to like new suggestions and trying to make the channel better, trying to make the community better. Um, the, I would say the biggest thing for me is inclusion. I really like inclusion and finding ways to do that. Even if we, even if it's small, um, for me is a big deal. So like recently we added pronouns to our uh, videos and I am. I am aware that there are more things that every, anyone can do, but the fact that the, that they were like, yeah, let's, let's make this a thing. Let's stand by it because we want to be in unity. Um, Mm. to me spoke volumes to the character of the, of the people that I was putting myself around and knowing that I'll, I just have good things to say about them. Like the, the really, really, really great people. Any particular, particularly fond moments, like looking back at the past year. Oh, MTG Vegas last year. Oh my gosh. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh. I was, it was the first time I played with any of them in person and it was amazing. Like we got to play some really wild stuff. 
I played a lot of magic with Zach um, that weekend. And um, we had this insane, like, late night game that was just, like, spectacular. And Zach is an amazing player. And it was just this wonderful interaction of, like, us playing magic and then other people around us, like, talking through our plays, kind of like we were talking about earlier, talking through the plays while we're playing and like, oh, like, do you see the line in your hand? I don't think you do. Try to figure it out. And then no one being mad, like, oh, he's cheating. Like, it's just like, oh no, we're just trying to get better right now. Um, really, really great time. I had a really, really good time last year. Are there any particular pieces of content that you've done with PWP that you're, I mean, I guess there's the deck text and things like that, but uh, any particular ones? Mm, content, we did a, we did a stream for, um, um, black history month this year. That was, that was really, really cool. I really, really like that. Um, raised a lot of money during that stream and I just, I don't know. It was, it was just, it was, it was great. I really, really like that. Um, we have, we have some content that we've released that I really liked. I did a couple podcasts with Ryan and Cal and Ashani that I, I've really enjoyed. Um, and then being able to do the voice work on some of the episodes is also really cool. I, I, it was like, I don't know. It was, it was a really like come, come full circle moment. Um, because I went from like the, I, I used to watch this to I'm voicing a video. Like I am like, welcome to playing with power. Like, it was like, what is happening right now? <laughs> um, that was really cool. That was a cool moment. And you have a really good broadcaster's voice, if I may say. So I think that that really adds to the the gravitas of the, of the videos. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you ever want to listen to ASMR, we have an ASMR YouTube channel called smooth brews, where we talk about not even talk about magic. We do like prime, we read primers. Like we read the Git rock primer. Um, and, uh, this is with, a uh, a fervent Kai and fervent alchemist. Um, his name's Kai and, uh, Sean mailing the bear, um, from the mystic remoras and Sean, by the way, has one of the most beautiful voices in the world because it's super deep and he talks like this and it's great. <laughs> you need those deep voices for that sort of uh, genre. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. How did you uh, find your collaboration with uh, the professor? I think at the t by the time we publish this, <clears throat> your episode will definitely be, be out. Uh, yeah. I think you're recently on a shuffle up and play Mm -hmm. episode. So what, can you talk me through that whole experience? Um, yeah, I, uh, I actually have no idea. No, I'm, I, I met him. See, I met him at MTG Vegas last year. And then I, I tweeted at him and he followed me and I was like, what is this world? What is happening? Okay. You shot your shot. Yeah. Yeah. I shot my shot. And then, um, and then he reached out. He's like, Hey, do you want to come and play? I've been meaning to reach out to you. And I was like, sure. I don't know what this means, but yes, I'm down. Um, and then um, I was able to fly out to Portland and um, play with some amazing people, amazing people. Oh my gosh. And I was shocked that like it was, it was happening. Um, I'm still like surprised that, I, I don't know. It's just, it's just it's, it blows my mind that all that happened. Um, and, uh, and it was, it was just one of those things that yeah, just like, honestly, be nice, like be nice to people. And like, like I said, the magic community, like is responsive. Like they'll, if you are, if you are really trying to put yourself out there and like 
really trying to make some connections. Like people, people are happy to be friends. People are happy to be friends for sure. What was that whole filming experience? Like, I mean, just in terms of being in the studio and whatever the morning routine is and uh, that, that whole process. The professor, the thing that people need to remember is that the professor filmed all his, like did everything by himself for five years. For five years, he like worked seven days a week. Man is a machine. He is like a beast. And filming with a professor was really awesome because not only did he like grab a group of people that are, I think, really well suited for each other in playing, um, but also he had a very clear direction of where he wanted like us to go in terms of like us playing magic and how he wanted it to unfold because he wanted his audience to be able to understand what was happening. And then there was like some really like true intention of, I want you to experience CDH and, and be able to follow along in this ride. And I, I thought that was great. Like, I think that the viewers will really appreciate it because it gives the viewers time to understand what's going on. Um, but also like at no point should you feel lost? Um, because he wanted to make sure that was the case. And I loved like his intentionality with that. I thought that was really, really smart and really, really, I don't know, uh, enlightening. I think that's something that always comes across in his work, right? No matter mm -hmm. what kind of video he does, it's always about accessibility. Mm -hmm. Like even when I watch shuffle up and play, I can tell that it's a point of emphasis, right? Cause when someone puts the plays a card, they'll actually read the card. They'll like zoom into the card. Like there's a lot of, uh, care taken to make sure that that's messaged well. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I wish more creators did that. I mean, I, I guess it's always hard, right? Cause everyone has yeah. limited time to make sure like the details work, but he, he's always struck me as someone who's very like meticulous and detail oriented in that way. So, yeah. yeah. Awesome. That's yeah. He's like, oh gosh. Yeah. Prof is great. He's yeah. the other people too are great. Like rebel and, uh, cam and Jim, like, gosh, they were, they're just amazing humans and spectacular players. Oh my gosh. They're so good at magic. Gosh, really, really cool. Any, uh, particular fond memories of maybe things that you guys did off of offset or like maybe when you guys were not filming. Oh man, so many, we played a, the, 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 we played a game the night after a wrap, we played, we played some like ca more casual magic and the games were just like wild. We were, we were like, we were throwing out some gnarly stuff. We would take cards from our decks and give like players like, okay, you have to put this, you have to play this card in your next turn. You have to, you have to play it. And it wasn't even a card in there, like colors. And we, it was just like really, really fun, goofy, like just having a great time with friends. And, um, that's the best, that was like, for me, one of my best memories that, and like the professor knows like really good food spots. He took us to the sushi place. That was amazing. Oh my gosh. It was ridiculous. <laughs> food was so good. Food was so good. And there was a breakfast spot that was also really good. But, um, that night we played, we played just like fun, fun, casual games. That was great for sure. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, so in terms of your content journey, like, do you have any specific goals for what you want to do? Like in the, I don't know, let's just say in the next six to 12 months, like, is there any, anything that you're, you're focused on or hyper-focused on? Um, I think in the next not actually not really not really uh, a lot of the things that i wanted to do i kind of i did 
I did the things that I wanted to do. And those are really just play games. Like I, I really just wanted to play games and try and like connect with the community. And one of the things that I was a part of, um, with a guy, his name's Joe Johnson, um, is to create more. Black Nido, right? Yeah. Black yeah. Nido. Yeah. Um, is to create a, like a stronger presence for black magic players. And, um, we were able to do that and like create like a discord and we filmed a couple episodes, um, with tabletop jocks, um, called the cookout series and, um, and just like be able to provide that. That was like a big goal that I, I really enjoyed. Um, if there was like a really outlandish goal would be to play magic with post Malone. Um, that would be, that would be dope. That'd be really cool. That heuristic studies, that'd be really cool too. Um, those are probably the two that like are really outstanding to me. Um, but those are like, you know, like, I don't know, you can all, you can always dream. Right. Um, but everything else, like, I feel great. Like, I feel like, oh, this is like, this is amazing. Like, like being on here with you. Like, I, I don't know. It's, it's all, it's all, uh, it's all fun. It's all great. No, I mean, thank you, man. Um, I mean, it, the, 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 the pleasure is truly mine. And, uh, what, how would you describe your current relationship with magic? Is it, is it healthy? Is it fill in the blank? Um, current relationship. Um, it's, it's, yeah, I would say it's pretty good. Um, I would say that it definitely takes, Hmm. It definitely takes some of my time, um, that can be tight at times. Um, and I am fortunate to have a very supportive wife that understands that I, this, you know, this is really important to me. Um, but also like gives me a little bit of reality check sometimes like, Hey, don't, <laughs> um, yeah, you need that for sure. Yeah. The better half. Yeah. yeah, no, for sure. But the ways, I don't know, I can't, I can't impart this enough. Like. Having, having, having good communication in your relationships to make sure that you stay balanced is really important. Um, but also like having your, the ways that you take care of yourself are equally as important. And so magic for me has always been like a way that I do self-care. And so I think my relationship with it has been great because I know that it is stress relieving. It is stress relieving. It is a hobby. It is not a job. It sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So even when you're doing content, it doesn't feel like a, a job. It's sort of like a, would it, would it be like a public manifestation of your hobby? Basically. Yeah. yeah basically. Yeah. Interesting. I got to learn that from you because, yeah. uh, sometimes it does feel like a job depending on what you're mm -hmm. doing, I guess. Yeah. Or what I've... point of, uh, your path you're on. Mm -hmm. so. There's that. If you start realizing you're doing more of the not magic playing magic, then it will start feeling that way. Like, if you're doing magic related things other than playing magic, it will start feeling like a job for sure. For sure. For sure. Um, all right. I got another question here. That's not like, I just need to ask because I'm just curious. Like I did some research talking to your friends and, uh, there's no, there's no bridge here. I'm just going to ask like, uh, music, like you're, I hear that you are a lyricist or a beatboxer? Like, is that, is that true? Yeah. All right. C can you, can you show us a little something on the, <laughs> on the, on the mic here? 
Uh, sure. Sure. <laughs> Off um, the dome or on the mic? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm going to beatbox because uh, my brain's tired. Um, all right. Um, boxing for you <laughs> thank you that's incredible man how did you learn that beatboxing i've been beatboxing since i was 14 since i was 14 and uh and it's just one of your hobbies that you got yeah seriously yeah man it's uh music is like yeah there's so many facets of it and uh, my friends were really good at rapping and i was not and so i was like i'll learn how to make the beats and uh and so I started doing that. I really, really enjoyed. I really enjoyed it, and I had a lot of uh, a lot of influences from the shows that I watched. And it was just really, like what, really cool. What kind of shows? Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Ah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, boxes yeah, a lot yeah. on that show. Yeah. So I was like, oh man, this is cool. Like, chicka chicka boom, chicka 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 boom. It's like, oh, <laughs> this is cool. Uh, <laughs> how do you actually? How do you actually learn how to do that though? Is it just like just like you just start imitating something and practice? Or is there like a school you go to? I have no idea. Right? Nah, man. I'm telling you, just practice. Like I started like like the first beat is uh, like, and that's just that's just, and that turns into, and then that turns into. And then you learn the funny sounds like, so, and like, you just, it evolves over time. And then you start doing really wild, crazy, funny stuff. And, uh, and yeah, man, it's, uh, you just practice, but I, I've been, let's see, I'm 30, I'm 35. So I've been beatboxing since for 21 years. Yeah. 20 years. Mm-hmm. It sounds really good. Have you ever done like any any like professional beatboxing or like are there competitions for that i imagine there must be right or maybe that's not your style listen i would love to beatbox battle people but the people who battle like beatbox battle are insane like i i, I might sound like, like another really, level yeah okay. i might sound like really crazy like it's like but i i don't think you like actively search beatbox videos people who beatbox now they sound like machines it's insane like i don't i don't understand how they make the sounds they make it's just like a human reproduction of a of a machine okay. yeah like honestly like it's it sound like they can do double voice stuff they like take like techniques from like monks it's wild it's it's nuts it's super yeah. nuts yeah for sure okay. yeah the korean beatbox scenes by the way is bananas it is yeah. bananas yeah there there is a set of like just funny uh interview short videos that i watch in china and the interviewer is just like interviewing you know chicks or whatever right but then he sometimes he has this like his co-host which is like a beatboxer just comes in and starts like dropping the beats and then it's so awkward and funny because like the people being interviewed have never seen beatboxing before in china Mm -hmm. like they they don't they 
like most of the time he asks them to name their favorite Chinese rapper or any rapper and they have they have nothing like their mind is just completely blank and then this guy comes in and then he always introduces his friend as like this is the beatboxing champion of China he's like he he won the world the China version of that yeah. competition uh you know a couple of years ago and i got to say like you sound just as good as that guy so maybe it's kind of like <laughs> maybe it's just like it's all degrees right maybe it's like in China that's like top dog you're like a top dog yeah. maybe like kind of like you know you're a basketball player like Obviously, the skill level in China is not as good as in the in the U.S., right? Because mm -hmm. I guess this must have come from uh, America, so it's like mm -hmm. the level is just way higher, right? Yeah, man, it's not. Nah, it's not even like the. I'm telling you, like the the like China. China has some of the world's best beatboxers. Like there is, um, there's just oh for real. Yeah, okay. it's it's like but like dude. Southeast Asia, man, they be coming in hot. They have some amazing talent. Why? Um, why is that? Like, because I would imagine, like his, like, tr like from a history historical perspective, like, how did that even that, come I mean, into being? The like, internet, the internet is a hell of a drug, man. It's like it's it's one of those things. There's always going to be creatives, in no matter where you go. And like when I think of like the ability to like learn new things access to information is like the number one, number one thing. Right. So beatboxing, yeah. everyone has the same instrument. Um, and so it's just a matter of finding ways to use that instrument. Yeah. It's very, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know what the term is like democratized. Like you don't have to buy a, mm -hmm. a piano or a guitar mm -hmm. or even a ball. Like you can just do it. And if you, if you really wanted to, that's cool. Yeah. And the people who like do it by themselves for a long, like, like the people who be beatboxing alone for a long time, they're just like, they come out with like the craziest sounds that are really unique. And everyone yeah. like tries to mimic that because it's so, it's so outstanding. That's, um, it's insane, man. Like you're, you're really good. And I, I, of course I'm the, I'm a terrible judge cause I'm not in this field, but like, that sounds really, really good. So I'm telling you, man, check out a couple YouTube videos, most recent beatboxing. You're going to be a blown away, blown away. Some really cool stuff. I, I will. And what other talents do you have that I may not know about? Uh, hmm. That's a good question. Uh, Can you like skateboard upside down or right? That'd uh, be cool. run uh, <laughs> the marathon backwards or something? I don't know. Nah, man. Uh, I just like, yeah, I just like music, like making music. Um, and like beatboxing plays a lot of a big role in that. Oh, so you do, you do make music or make mm -hmm. beats. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what are your biggest, uh, influences in this area? Probably mm, not really. I would say like dubstep and hip hop are like my two big things. Um, I really like lo-fi music. So I, I tend to make that, that a lot of my music turns into lo-fi at some point. Um, but I really, yeah, I just like, I don't know. I, I like music that have really cool melodies. Um, and have like, a almost I'll, always some sort of like eerie kind of feel to it for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very um, cool. do you have, do you have like a public catalog somewhere that like people can listen to or I will, I release? will at the end of the year, I will, but okay. not yet, but not yet, not yet. All right. All right. <laughs> Gotta get it. Gotta get it refined or whatever it is you need to do. So yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. All right. Awesome, man. Yeah. Um, last question for you. So the name hire, like, I, I know it's kind of like a play on your, 
your real name, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or your last name. Mm -hmm. But is there, can you ascribe, is there any additional meaning to that? Like, how did you come up with that? Um, so my last name is Heyer, H-E-Y-E-R, but everyone says it hair when you read it. It's always spelled, mm -hmm. it's always Alex Hare. And I hate that because it's pronounced Heyer. And my username for a long time was just H-E-Y-E-R. And everyone would say, oh, hey, are you joining? And I'm like, no, it's higher. Yes, I'm joining. And so I, I spelled it the way you say it for the sake of my sanity. And, <laughs> and it stuck. And now going back, if I could change it from H-I-G-H-E-R, I would use H-I-R-E. I think that would have been such a, such a more... <laughs> Such a better, oh, it'd have been so much more clever. Really? Yeah. I mean, I mean, what you have right now is awesome. Like it has like certain connotations, right? Like I want to get, I want to get higher. I want to, I, mm. I have no idea. Nope. That, you know, higher, just higher because then, then it, like you want to hire me. That's like, <laughs> that's so sick. Cause you want that, you want that career in HR. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I just want, I want that to be in people's minds. Like it could have been such a cool play, but. I was like, I just went for the the first one because I was I was so annoyed when I when I made that change, and then everyone started saying it right, and I was like, okay, cool, higher, that's fine. There's no like, there's nothing that's weird about this. That's just it's just higher. That's that's fine. I can just take that. That's cool. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> Alex, uh, it was so great talking to you. I know I'm keeping you up pretty late, and I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to to have a conversation with me. Yeah, man. No problem. Thank you again for having me. I really appreciate it.